Welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Wow. That was... That was good, but not your best. You know, I don't know if we need the best. Is that good enough? Yeah, I mean, we don't want we don't want the best to be the enemy of good enough. <laughs> Wait, maybe we... I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they have to be enemies, though. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show, everybody. You can already tell the show is a lot of us thinking. Oh, Maybe yeah. overthinking. Yeah, there might be overthinking going on, but, uh, you know, we're happy to be here. We're happy that you're here. I'm Brian Barnes. And I'm Patty Payette. Yep, we're doing it. We're doing it for everyone here on Critical the show. Critical thinking for everyone. Yeah, and... We're thinking in real time. Yeah, thinking out loud in real time, bouncing off each other. Man. It's like uh, it's like an atomic uh, festival in here. <laughs> and we always like to bring good, juicy concepts from critical thinking into the conversation. Yep, yep. We're going to be talking today about critical thinking moves as part of our deep dive into the meaning of life. Ooh, I'd like to hear a sound effect with that. The meaning of life. I'll see what I can come up with. All right. Yeah, so the meaning of life. So let's let me start with this question. Why is the meaning of life, or what is life all about? Why does that live in the realm of philosophy? Oh yeah, okay, I think I dig that. Um, I, it would be in philosophy because it's uh, maybe unanswerable. So I think that's what typically causes, you know, philosophy to, to hold on to topics is that um, people who have a, who have strong opinions about the outcome of this kind of complex question will disagree with one another even after they look into the topic in a criteria-based and rational way. They'll still disagree. And so questions that are like that we tend to leave them in philosophy instead of putting them into a discipline that's known for certainty right i mean which, philosophy which is, known is like for, almost every other discipline exactly like philosophy is known known for attempts at certainty right um questions to try to get to certainty but i don't really think that philosophy achieves certainty Okay, well, wow, we went deep fast, but you know, you gotta slow your roll, dude, because I thought I heard you just say, yeah, the question around the meaning of life is unanswerable. I, you just gave away the whole show. I didn't this say show... it was unanswerable. I say that, I, I say that it's a question that, when educated people on the topic give criteria-based answers they disagree. So it's not that it's unanswerable. It's that there are a lot of different answers. Um, and the question becomes, what's the right way to interpret all of those different answers? I think okay, that's- Okay, but we have, I have awesome. to quibble. We'll have to roll back the tape. I believe at the very beginning of your comment, I heard you say, the question of the meaning of life is unanswerable, blah, blah, blah. And then you went on and I was like, what? I just had a mini existential crisis because you just said, the meaning of what is the meaning of life is unanswerable. And so then I had like a existential freak out. And then you went on as if that's just accepted. 
I mean, I don't really know that unanswerable is problematic. I mean, I think when I, if I, if I did say unanswerable, what I'm, I meant exactly what I just described, right? That, that there's not one answer that's out there. And I mean, when we talk about two plus two, we talk about arithmetic or something, it's not multiple answers. You know, it's really just one answer. When we talk about the volume of a cylinder or something, I mean, it's just one answer. I, I get that. Yeah. So this one has a lot of answers. And, you know, from a, I guess, a philosophical point of view, I think they're all about as credible as the other. Okay. So, I mean, it's not that there aren't any answers. It's just, it's just that. There's multiple answers. It's easy to disagree about which one's right or if there's only one. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying because I almost just started to question why I exist. And okay, that's and a, that's not bad. I know, but you're a philosopher, though. So you, you, the guardrails, you got all the guard. The rest of us are just flailing around and. Oh yeah, but I mean, being um, a philosopher, I mean, that's not you know, like I wasn't born that way. I mean, it's you know, it's just a, hmm. it's, it's a point of view that you develop. I, we're all, yeah, we're I all born. We're all born with this uh, possibility of, of living in uncertainty, you know? Oh, I know, but sometimes I don't like it. Oh, no, nobody likes it. It's crummy. Yeah. So, so this whole question of the meaning of life. Okay. So now you've helped answer that the reason that it often lives in philosophy or we associate it with like this feels like I'm going to go to this class and philosophy and learn about the meaning of life because yeah, yeah. there's lots it's, of takes. Just when you there's, do it like that. What? It sounds pretentious when you say it like that. Is that yeah. you're trying to get the pretentious vibe going in the philosophy? I am. I am sure you picked up on my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Why does it be pretentious? Why can't this be a, a serious, uh, you know, sort of important inquiry? It is. I'm just saying I think people associate it with this like, you know, high level, deep question as opposed to as opposed to an active helpful thing that guides us day to day in our decisions about what life is about you know so but it can be i mean i think it can be a question that we answer in the day to day in the choices that we make uh what our life is about what our lives are about uh but what interested me about this article i found is apparently the meaning of life like you said there's multiple answers brian in philosophy mm -hmm. so i found like these different um schools of thought and they all have like a different take on what the meaning of life is yeah, so yeah. i thought it would really be fun to try to kind of have fun and explore them and see which ones we agree with which ones we like throw them out there for listeners to decide if they agree you know I think that sounds fine i think that um some of them are going to be silly, but what, you know, the point, one of the big points of the show is for us to think about our thinking. And so we like to give content that's worthy of thinking about our thinking. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, a challenging topic, but we will give you the opportunity. And if your head hurts, we have to blame Patty. Mm, no, we have to blame you because you're the professional philosopher supposed to be unpacking for us. Um, that might easily that might totally make somebody's head hurt. I mean, I just you, you're bringing it up. I, actually, I some of your explanations do make my head hurt. Yeah, some of the explanations are tough. Well, yeah. we'll see what we can do with them. Look, 
if you if you think this is worthy or if you think this is trash, you should hit us up at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook and let us know what your opinion is, and maybe we'll do a better job with a future show. Yeah, we haven't gotten a message on Facebook in a long time. I think that must mean that um, that everybody's very satisfied. Uh, I, well, listeners, you know, disabuse Brian or enlighten us. I was really happy when I went to a forward radio event and I was, I mean, there were like, there were like 20 people there and like 17 of them have had heard the show. It was wild. Really? Like, like I know that show. It's, that's a really nice show. I was like, wow. really? Yeah. I think all the people who listen might've been there except for whoever's in Latvia, but it could have been that one of our forward radio people from here was just over there on vacation. that's always well i don't think so because if you remember right i found that article written that article on critical thinking written by that latvian scholar who cited us so i think they were googling us and found our show yeah or um it just it's just commonly known in the research world that uh, that we're out there and this is just the first brave soul to really use it yeah I like to think somewhere in Latvia, there's like a photo of us on a bulletin board. Oh, there you go. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. But then, but then the question is, what's what's it advertising? Being <laughs> it's probably like milk or something. You know? <laughs> All right. I'm going to close my... The body good. All right. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. We've got like 20 different philosophical approaches to the meaning of life. I'm just going to randomly pick one and we're going to talk about it. Why do you think there would be so many? Oh, he's already started, listeners. He's I'm just curious. Started. I mean, before we get into this. Why thing. do I think there's so many? Because I think there's uh, over the hundreds of years and th- that people have been asking big questions and attempting to grapple with big questions that one of the central ones is, what should life be about? What should we focus on? And I, I think that's a central to some of these. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably true. Why do you think we have so much time figuring out we're supposed to focus on? Is it just that is it just that so many people are just bad thinkers about their own lives? Is that the trouble? Um, I think people are too close to it. They're too close to their own lives? Yeah, and that they're living it and sometimes they're not stepping back to go, to think, what is this about? What, wait, wait, what's my bigger purpose here? Hmm. Is it to watch Netflix and get takeouts and make yeah. sure, you know, is that it? Yeah. That actually leads us into the first one I randomly picked. Oh, let's have it then. We got to get into okay. this. Yeah. Okay. Epicureanism. Oh man, it's the stuff. Appeared around the fourth century BC. Yeah, because that's where that's when Epicurus appeared. Yeah, so let me read the little the little blurb, and you you help exp- you help uh, elaborate. So the Greek it see this is accurate. The Greek philosopher Epicurus was a materialist ancient Greek philosopher who offered that the meaning of life was in achieving sustainable pleasure. Yummy! I added that sustainable huh. pleasure, which leads to a state of tranquility and freedom from fear. And what sort of pleasures are meaningful? Mental, not physical, because mental pleasures exist in the past and the present and the future while physical pleasures are fleeting. Oh my gosh, I do not agree with that. What do you mean? 
What's not to agree with? That's I want to I want to go outside, enjoy a nice breeze and a glass of wine. That's physical. Yeah, you can, but it's also trivial and fleeting. Yeah, but that's still pleasure, though. Yeah, but for Epicurus, I mean, the real question becomes, where do you want to put your energy? Right. So it's not that these other pleasures aren't useful. I mean, they're useful, but they're sort of they're 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 not. If I have limited energy in a limited life, what's going to lead me to having a happy life? I mean, the problem is if I put all my eggs in the physical basket or if I care so much about physicality, I might very well end up. Um, I mean, it would be easy for any of us to end up old, infirm, disabled, any number of other things such that we couldn't necessarily enjoy everything we'd put into that, right? I mean, we would lose. Oh, if it's just our, as our physical self deteriorates, then we can't enjoy. Okay. Well, so he said the meaning of life was in achieving sustainable pleasure, which leads to tranquility and freedom from fear. So what did he mean by that? So when I, if I'm able to achieve, um, mental pleasure and balance my physical pleasures because you know things like eating there it's it's yeah. we're gonna do I, it i love eating sure i do too and it's and and then you ask yourself well is that a pleasure that's worthwhile if i spend a lot of time worried about eating then then maybe not maybe i can really overdo that but if i if i find ways to balance things like eating such that they don't cause me any distress that's kind of what the balance is. So, so they don't really cause me any distress. Okay. Achieving sustainable pleasure, which leads to a state of tranquility. So in other words, what you're saying is I'm going to maximize pleasure and positive experiences, but only that lead to a state of tranquility and freedom from fear. Well, that's the thing is that if I, if I put a lot of time into mental stuff, then it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it's certainly going to be possible for me to achieve this um, if I do the right thinking. It's just that I don't want to be distracted by all the other stuff that might be just really tempting. And so ultimately, if I want to say that I had a good life, yeah. a lot where I was not yanked around by all kinds of extremes because I was pursuing pleasure kind of inappropriately. Okay. Well, that would really, that would be great. That would, it's also relatively easy to maintain. Like if I can figure out what kinds of food that, I, what kind of foods that I eat that don't cause me to have gastric difficulty. Yeah. Well, if I can just, if I always ate and I never felt bad, after yeah. I ate, if I always slept and woke up refreshed, if I always, um, you know, exercised and it, and it was positive for me, right, in terms of, of helping my health, Epicurus thinks that, that that kind of a soundness in my body and in my regimentation of my daily activities will lead to um, the opportunity for me to focus on my thinking and to think a lot about happiness without being distracted by this other stuff that really is superfluous. And if we were a little bit more careful about it, 
he thinks again he's an ancient dude he doesn't know everything um about modern whatever medicine stuff like that but but he thinks that that kind of consistency will lead to overall happiness uh because we're thriving okay so so in other words the curious was into like work-life balance and like things definitely balance 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 is big okay okay so like at the end of the day if you felt like wow i i worked out and and i was productive at work and i had a good meal and i enjoyed my friends or family like that would feel a sense of set that the meaning of life would would that would be like a good day epicurus is a little bit complicated because he believes that human beings are kind of predisposed toward excesses and the balances and it's kind of a it's kind of a process of discovery Hmm. right so he like had a little place called the garden that was outside of the city you yeah. could come to his place, the garden, but there were only certain things you could talk about. And there were certain activities. You could engage in a lot of activities, but some things were off limits because these kinds of topics and these kinds of activities led to people arguing and they led to stressful wow. states of mind and stuff like that. So, I mean, he was really he was really trying to think all of this through in ways where you maximize um maximize all of the conditions that will lead to whatever's the best for people okay i gotta say i gotta say i like him i like him there's a lot there to be liked i think because he doesn't ask you not to do stuff he just (laughs) says he just says don't you think some of these things really suck for you like like you ate the whole cake, but did you feel good after you ate the whole cake? <laughs> Maybe next time you ought not eat the whole cake and it'll still be good. In All right. It might be even better. Right? Okay. You know, that kind of thing. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to the next one. This- Before we do, let me just say that we have this adjective. A lot of people are like, who is this Epicurus? We have this adjective, Epicurean. Yeah. yeah. And we in our... It. In our culture, it it implies excessive luxury, but that's a misinterpretation of Epicurus. Epicurus was not. How about can we correct this? We must we correct. Have to go back to the Romans who maligned Epicurus and made this made uh-huh. this associated with excess instead of um, associated with balance. All right. Well, and, listen. You yeah. get the time machine warmed up and. I'll get our Roman costumes on and we're going to do it. We're going to need some snacks or something. Uh, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, Confucianism. Sure. Do you know what that says? It says meaning of life is fulfill your fulfilling your duties to others. (sighs) I mean, again, it's a little tough in a blur, but like, um master kung which was confucius's actual name if we were to translate it in english yeah um that guy he thought that human beings again kind of like with epicurus like human beings will really thrive if you find some kind of balance yeah find a sort of um uh I guess if you can figure out what it takes to make 
yourself have the best possible life. And he thought for human beings, it has to do a lot with our relationships with others. Yeah. Can I read this little thing here? Oh, yeah, sure. It says Confucianism circa fifth century BC. Yeah. It's a long time ago. There was. Chinese philosopher Confucius tells us to cultivate virtue called Ren, R-E-N, which is an altruistic sort of feeling one experiences when taking care of one's children and parents. Yeah, I mean, it's more than that. It's also like doing your duty as a neighbor. It's doing your duty as a leader. For, for the Confucian system, everybody in society has a role. And so as long as those roles are followed, um, harmony and a stable, productive, um, happy making society yeah. is very possible, right? But it, it, it isn't, individuals can't do it. It has to be based upon an individual acting within a structure in which just about everybody else is also um, doing, their, doing their part, doing, doing their, their duty, part. if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so if, I'm, if I'm a good employee and a good daughter and a good parent and a good neighbor and a good rule follower and a good taxpayer that the meaning of life is that i am willingly filling all the roles that contribute to the greater good is that fair um the greater good i guess so yeah i mean i guess there's this sort of idea that since human beings uh you know it sort of came from nature that yeah. there are ways to structure their environment such that they will thrive in the same way that maybe a tree or like a fruit tree might live you know quite fine in its mediocre plot but if we really you know set it up for super success we could do that still within nature right by sort yeah. of selecting its habitat and caring for it and this kind of thing right so so um humans just need that kind of structuring and and the confucian system okay well i noticed that you're very active playing all different roles in your life day to day well we all play different roles in our life yeah that's what i'm saying i noticed you do that i do that we sure. try to be actively contributing in all these different ways and you know it's kind of fulfilling yeah i mean there's something to be said for confucianism in that you know the individual can be developed but that individual is never really developing themselves just for the sake of themselves it's, right it's for the sake of well for the sake of the you know the whole society yeah yeah because 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 I don't really have a role in Confucian society. I don't really have a role as an individual maximizing my own individual interests, right? I mean, I can easily overdo it as an individual. And that's one of the reasons why the Confucian system uh, sort of mandates so many of my relationships because i could very easily blow it not really knowing what's best for me and i need the state if you will to have already laid out for me what is the best behavior systems together to make sure that i'm gently nudged into doing the right stuff i mean there are strong confucian vibes 
in contemporary China as well. I was going to say that really, that to me resonates very strongly with the way China is run right now. There's a lot of, a lot of Confucian leftover uh, approaches to society these days. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to yank you into a totally different direction now with a different approach. Yeah. All right. Let's have that. Here comes Ready? the hook. Nihilism. Ooh, now we're talking about something something important. Yeah, nihilism appeared in 1862. Well, I guess with a capital N, it appeared in 1862. I was going to say, I think I, arguably it's um, been Nihilism, also called pessimism, is a belief that nothing can make life meaningful. The nihilists see something inherent about humans that prevent us from finding meaning in life. It can be the human tendency for being dissatisfied or always seeking something or being bored once it is found. Wow wow so they're saying it the origin of nihilism is ancient but among philosophers german philosopher friedrich nietzsche concept will to power is most often associated with it yeah i mean i don't know i think i think you could go beyond nietzsche for sure i mean i think the the point the point of nihilism is that there's not meaning to be found and as a result um we shouldn't really make strong efforts in that direction. I find nihilism to be, um, you know, problematic because it it also negates the idea that I might find significant meaning for myself. You know, there isn't there isn't going to be meaning, even meaning that I make, right? Um, under the nihilist approach and. Right. That doesn't strike me as quite in line with Nietzsche. I mean, I think for Nietzsche, you can create a lot of meaning on your own, um, but that is a way to read him. So I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. I, so nothing. So in on. other words, nihilists would say, if I said, "What's the meaning of life?" They'd say, "There is no meaning. Don't try to make it. Just would they say, just live it and make decisions, but don't try to live it. I mean, don't try to." make sense of it i mean again with nietzsche like there's no there's not really a good way to avoid living in the world i mean i mean there and he's not the only one in the same vein right i mean dostoevsky i think is also in the same vein around the same time period just the idea that that whatever meaning you try to create is ultimately futile um and that there's not any real reason to look deeply or even philosophically into these situations again I think, I think Nietzsche would, you know, I think that there's a way to read Nietzsche such that meaning can emerge, but, okay. um, but okay, I think well, in an extreme nihilism, um, you don't really have any possibility of meaning. So I guess then my question, I'm going to ask my question again, if I say to a nihilist, what the what is the meaning of life what they're going to say to me is there is no meaning so just go and live your life but don't try to look and search for any meaning there yeah i mean i don't know Basically, what they, would say. they might not even say that but yeah they wouldn't even say that they'd just be like zip their mouth and be like don't bring it up well there's a problem there's a problem with nihilism in that it is kind of i mean it's system, it, it's sort of the system that it brings up is one that constantly negates meaning. And so if I'm trying to establish meaning, even the kind that you just came up with, that would be a sort of way to go through the world, you know, to, to create just, comfort. 
And I think a lot of nihilists want to embrace the idea that there is no comfort, you know, wow. there is change and wow. entropy. Wow. So, why? so that's fascinating. That's kind of a bummer. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of interesting. I find, I mean, I mean, in, in, in a certain sense. So I really appreciate, for example, I mean, a very nihilist view would be to say, ah, we're one planet in one of like billions of galaxies with billions of other planets. And the only, you know, what's real, if you want to talk about what's meaning, what really might have meaning is the idea that there might be another Brian Barnes out there, or maybe a billion Brian Barneses out there struggling like hell on their own little rock somewhere, only ultimately to have whatever they achieve, even if it's monumental architecture and right. world changing activity, ultimately to have that vanish when their star eventually goes out. So no matter how much impact there is, it'll all be over. Okay. So, so I mean, don't worry about it. So, so that's so interesting because you know what I heard um, a relative say in a couple generations, two or three generations, no one's going to even know who you are. I mean, nobody, you might be like a name or a face and a photo, but that's it. I mean, maybe you leave a diary behind and maybe like I, I, I read my great, great, great grandfather's diary. My, my dad had that, you know, but, but other than that, it's sort of like, you don't, you, there's nothing there there anymore yeah, right I don't know. I no i mean that's that's definitely the traditional view i'm not sure with technology that's true i mean yeah. i'm not sure that by the time our kids reach our age or something i'm not sure that there won't be an opportunity for them to package themselves into an ai they can just continue to interact <laughs> with the rest of the family long after they're gone that's even so though they weird. may not have an actual consciousness in there we could still have dad sitting around telling his stupid jokes. Hey, dad bot, go and make breakfast, will you? I mean, there certainly are, you know, and maybe I could tell a few stories about my life, you know, when I was alive, you know, this kind of thing. I mean, I mean, maybe there's a possibility for wow. some more. I mean, ultimately it is meaningless, right? I mean, ultimately. Right, it's because if you're, if your consciousness isn't associated with that, then you aren't you know, meaning is gone for you anyway. Well, not necessarily. It all depends on what you mean. I mean, the nihilists would definitely say so, but but some others on your list might say, well, like Confucianism might say, well, if I'm able to really shape the world and really make dramatic changes with my life such that others will be living in the world that I have made oh, going forward, then I did have significant impact. Not like not like it's more important than anything else or more important than nature or whatever, but nonetheless significant. And people can strive for that again in the name of whatever's best for society. Sometimes okay. what I do might be the thing that's best for society, like figuring out how to create, how to put a, you know, your personality into a mom bot so that we can keep you around for, <laughs> you know, hundreds of years. All right. Nihilism. Okay. I just know sometimes that's how I feel on Sunday nights. Is that because church is Sunday morning? I tell you, they used to bum me out too. I don't know if anybody else feels like that. Oh, no, no. All right, I got another one for you. Okay. Pragmatism. Sure, that's, that's uh, yeah. Unlike many other schools of philosophy, the pragmatists have no official creed. In general, their views suggest that rather than truth about life, we should seek a useful understanding of life. Oh, come on. 
William James, one of pragmatist's main figures, argued the truth could be made but not sought. Is life worth living? James answered, maybe. The answer depends on what you do with your life. The meaning of life is then doing the thing that most contributes to the most human good over the longest course. That is bringing maximum value to humanity. So basically so, yeah. the answer of is, uh, what is the meaning of life is you decide in your act through your actions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. I mean, pragmatism is, I mean, I mean, the, the pragmatist school is very much based in the idea that a lot of philosophy is just a time waster, right? That it's just sitting around <laughs> thinking about stuff that ultimately doesn't do anything useful for your life whatsoever. Right. So the pragmatist school says, and I mean, I, I was trained in this when I was a young guy, and I guess... Um, I have a certain sympathy, although I, I don't, I would not necessarily put myself in, in the camp of the American pragmatists. I, I do have a sympathy for some of their core ideas, in particular, this one about figuring out what is useful for me to do with my thinking and then doing that, you know, okay. I mean, to just sit around and spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, metaphysics and epistemology just for their own sake. Like, like James might have done. I would uh, Scott LaJoy out there listening. You know, you know he did. Anyway, um, there there are plenty of uh, pragmatists who probably went farther than they even wanted to in this because it's hard sometimes to live in the world without a heavy dose of theory. Okay. Right? But the pragmatists okay. tried to undermine that as much as possible and get away from that. Okay, so if I'm thinking about what is the meaning of life with a pragmatist point of view, then I am asking myself, what's the most use I can make of my life? Yeah, and, and ultimately, I'm going to be the one who decides that, right? Because if, for example, if the most use I can make for my life is to become a, a, a political leader or whatever, and it actually causes me to not want to do the things that I'm doing, like a sort of causes me to dislike my life or whatever right then even though it might be very useful for others i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do it so okay. finding that balance in there i think is important for the pragmatist but ultimately it's about the pragmatist's you know needs or whatever interests which is you know they're going to be highly variable mm. okay wow um we haven't gotten to your favorite one yet i don't think uh you know i can't believe my favorite one will be on the list um okay this one's interesting cynicism oh yeah cynicism says it says i'm looking for the official description here appeared around fourth century bc the cynics attempt to offer people the possibility of happiness and freedom from suffering in the age of uncertainty the meaning of life is mental lucidity and self-sufficiency. To achieve self-sufficiency, a person must become free from external influences such as wealth, fame, and power. Wow. The meaning of life is mental lucidity and self-sufficiency, becoming free from external influences such. So in other words, to be a really good critical thinker, in other words. Yeah, the cynics are an important group. Um for the Stoics later, um, yeah. 
they're important for skepticism, for philosophical skepticism. You know, they really want to strip down um, all of all of everything about our thinking and about our living to only really what's what's kind of needed. One of the important ideas about cynicism, if I'm getting, if I'm remembering correctly, is the more, and this is another, an idea that became important for Stoicism too, but the more, the more I care about things I can't control, the less happy my life's going to be. Oh, so that's where they get the mental lucidity and self-sufficiency. Like I'm not dependent on other people for my happiness. Right. And, and a lot of times that could go to really extreme, that can go to a serious extreme, right? Like I would rather live on my own as essentially a homeless person than to follow your rules and be in, you know, sort of a nice environment, right? Because I don't feel like I'm being true to the things that are actually important to me. I feel like there's a lot here that's extraneous, uh, distracting, taking me away from living an authentic mm. sort of life. So that sounds a little boring. No, no, not at all. I would say that it's, um, it's boring if what you really like to do is to participate in culture, right? If you really like that stuff, but if we, what you really like to do is to try to live as authentically as you can with as little as possible, then. Um, oh, so Justin Mogg would like that. Yeah, he might. I think he likes institutions a little bit more than the cynics typically would. But, um, you know, there's a value. But the idea of sustainability, like I'm living. A pragmatist. Yeah, OK, but I, I like the idea of self-sufficiency, like I'm going to try to live in a sustainable way. So I'm not like dependent on all these things to make me happy or Absolutely, the, yep. or using up fossil fuels and everything. I'm trying to live without this where they say uh, wealth, fame and power are not important to me. There's almost right. a kind of there's almost a kind of um, Buddhist kind of take on that. Well, maybe. I mean, there's a there's definitely, a, you know, I'm not supposed to buy into the things of the world uh, to the point where they could impact me negatively. Right. So if I yeah. if I really come to rely upon the pleasurable things in the world to bring me pleasure, it's super easy for that system to end up hurting me. Right. And so um, that's the kind of thing that I think the cynic wants to avoid. And so if I'm used to getting a lot of things out, you know, from the what do you say, the um, uh, approval of others, like a politician might or a famous right. person might, something like that, then the cynic would think that we need to get rid of that, right? Okay. Because that's fragile and that's ultimately going to lead to us being unhappy. Yeah, we learned a lot about that during COVID when a lot of things shut down. Sure, definitely. Um, okay, well, let's see what Plato says. Uh, Plato, Plato, very malleable. <laughs> he says, for the Greek philosopher Plato, the meaning of life is the pursuit of knowledge. Oh, such a nerd. In his book, Apology, Plato quotes his teacher Socrates saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. 
In a nutshell, Platonism is the idea that there exist such things as pure forms, which are abstractions. An abstraction is something that neither exists in space nor time. It is completely non-physical and yet it is knowable. Knowledge of pure forms is the meaning of life. Daunting as it, what? Good. Daunting as it sounds, there is a shortcut of sorts. According to Plato, we are all born with knowledge inside of us, but we have to recall it or rediscover it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we have a conflating there of <clears throat> Plato and Socrates. It's really problematic because, of course, Socrates never wrote anything, and pretty much all the Socrates we have comes from Plato. Because, let's clarify, because Plato was Socrates' student, and Plato wrote down everything that represents, as far as we know, what Socrates meant. Said well, something like that. I mean, so, I mean, Plato never published anything about Socrates until at least 30 years after Socrates' death. Okay. So, I mean, it's a little bit dicey to say um, that that it's an accurate representation. As a matter of fact, I think we've talked about before, philosophers tend to group the writings of Plato into three sections. And one of those sections is we think these five or six documents represent the historical Socrates. And then it's this second group, not a whole lot, but a little bit. And the third group, Socrates is just a character that Plato uses to get across his own ideas. Because Plato's ideas, all this business that they were talking about, about abstractions, that is not Socrates' idea. I was going to say, Plato's and, idea. and that's a lot, that gets really abstract really fast, whereas I like this idea the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah, see, Socrates was the first thinker in the Western tradition to really start talking about ethics and to talk about the importance of the relationship between citizens and governments. And so he, you know, Socrates cared a lot more about the implications of living a good life, um, maybe than a lot of other thinkers of his time. So, um, you know, that that idea might be one that's important to Plato. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's not an important idea for Plato, but but Socrates, when Socrates talks about you know, the eternal forms or whatever. We don't think Socrates really thought that. We think that's something that Plato oh, that Plato brought. Okay. And so, so, so Plato, Plato did think that the right thing for us to do was essentially to philosophize about the forms. And he used, he thought that Socrates had figured all that stuff out, even though Socrates never talked about it explicitly, because okay. no one talked about that before Socrates died. Okay. Okay. So, so if I'm, let's just shift over to Socrates for a minute. If we're taking as truth that he's, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living, then we say, okay, so Socrates, what you're saying is the meaning of life is uncovered through the process of me asking these deep questions. Yeah, that's right. And even more so for Socrates, if we want to get down into it, what those deep questions ended up helping him discover was his mental mission right his mission um to follow god right and to and that's what made him famous he thought that god was telling him he should go and do these rational things 
Okay. Right? So, so it's, it, it's about duty. And, he, and why did the God tell him to do that? For the sake of all the people, right? Okay. So, so that everyone could have high quality examples of how to think about my own thinking. I mean, ultimately, Socrates thought that he was operating from a place of duty as a deeply pious thinker. Wow, that's interesting. And Plato's Plato's not having any of that. Pla that's not a Plato idea at all. Plato okay. did not believe what happened to Socrates. He would never have allowed himself to go down that road. That's interesting. So, um, you know who I think then I really like then of Plato of of the old guys. You know who I really like. I've heard you say it many times that you like Aristotle. Exactly. Aristotle. Uh, I love him. Aristotle and his meaning of life. You got I love him. Let's talk, too. About, let's talk about Aristotelianism and the nice. meaning of life. Nice. Good, good pronunciation. There. How did I do? Good. Okay. Thank you. The Greek philosopher Aristotle reminds us that no one lives a good life in order to achieve some other goal. Being a good person in itself is sufficient. Virtue is the goal. There's no list of virtues because we all know what they are. Well, I don't know if we all do. For example, it is a virtue to have friends. We do not need to be taught that. Virtue and the rules of ethics are not a theoretical concept. According to Aristotle, the human being knows what is good. Yeah, I mean, that's no. I mean, oh God. So, so the human being does not know what's good. In fact, Aristotle is... Um, and Aristotle wrote at one point that it's it's no easy task to be good, um, that, you know, we have to study and we have to make mistakes and we have to work on this, that being good is its own sort of long study. And he thought that we had to put in a lot of effort to discover what the right virtues were, the right ways to behave as human beings, and that that study took time. Okay, so um, let me get this. And, and you could get it wrong. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm at the bus stop with Aristotle, and I'm like, okay, dude, I'm thinking about the meaning of life, and I'm thinking what it is, is that I'm constantly evaluating and thinking about and acting on what it means to be good in all these different contexts and situations in my life. Is that true? He would say, yeah, that's. that's well, you'd say that's the way that you get there, but ultimately you could have, for Aristotle, you could have lots of different ways that you live your life, yeah. right? So you could live your life, for example, as a person who only craves fame. Yeah. And so you might do that because you were told to do that and you've been doing it your whole life. You were a, a Mickey Mouse Club kid and you've just been going after that your whole life now. Is that a way to live your life? Sure, but it's not the best way because eventually <clears throat> that fame is going to leave you and you'll find yourself without support for the rest of your life and you'll find yourself having a difficult time discovering happiness. What he thought that all of us ultimately are aiming at is happiness. Yeah. We just call it different things, but some human happiness, he thought, is more valuable for the entirety of your life than other happinesses, especially when it comes to producing the best life possible. And so for, oh him, my God. for him, just like Plato, you can imagine what the best life possible is. All right. So I'd be like, okay, Aristotle, come on, dude, give me, give me something I can work with. 
the life of contemplation, live the life of contemplation. That's the best life you can have. That'll lead to long-term happiness. Really? Life Does it work for you? Does it work for you? Yeah, but you have to give up a lot. Fame and stuff like that, you know, I mean. Yeah, you but you've given up fame. You seem pretty happy. Yeah, well, they Aristotle said I would be. So I feel <laughs> right on it. <laughs> you know, I could use a little fame. If it came my way, I wouldn't be mad about it or anything. But You wouldn't? Uh, no, but Aristotle, Aristotle would think that if I went to pursue it, I'm cultivating something that's ultimately, it's, it's really, it's ultimately based in others. Things like fame, things like duty. Aristotle thought what we really need to do is we need to identify the core virtues in my society that help me achieve the happiest life within that society. And then I need to follow through with those and with developing those. And that's how you end okay. up with life, but you could get them wrong. You could end up with the wrong ideas about society and then you end up with a less good life but it wouldn't be your fault because you're trying no it would still be your fault because you didn't actually hit <laughs> it's sort of like if you go back to friendship yeah as a virtue so this is a virtue that aristotle thinks is very common for societies like like friendship would have a lot of value but it's possible to be aggressively friendly such that you put people off right and then it's possible to be sort of not friendly enough. Yeah. So I could be wrong about the way that I'm hitting others. And I yeah. can think that I'm being friendly, but I'm not really, I'm being too friendly, right? And so people still don't want to hang out with me. They don't want to be my friend. Friendship doesn't develop because I'm not actually doing it right. Okay. That, Aristotle is quite possible. So, I mean, I mean, any of us could end up thinking that we're doing it right and living a virtuous life and it might be good enough for us but an outside observer might really see that the life that we're living is maybe mediocre compared to what it could be and so aristotle thinks you really need if not a teacher at least a model that you point to to compare yourself to to, to see if you're hitting the marks that will cause you to live the kind of life in society that you want to live. And who, who's your model? I'm not a very good Aristotelian. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have, I think Aristotle suggested one model. I think probably for me, I've had probably dozens of models and what we end up doing with a lot of these models, I think in the, if we're going to take the Aristotelian interpretation is we end up spending a little bit of time seeing how their lives look on the Aristotelian framework. Mm -hmm. So I would say that there's a lot, um, a lot of, there are a, a lot, lot of models out there because different aspects of life will draw upon different aspects of people's character. Right. So, you know, I mean, a lot of my teachers have been models. Um, a lot of my friends have been models. Um, you've been a model. I mean, my uh, my parents. I mean, again, just just to to assert, you know, just to whatever degree, reflecting on how that how that person lives ends up giving me insight into how I should live. Oh, That's I see what you're saying. Be using the models for. I see. Okay, so this is really interesting. I like that idea that other people can be 
instructive models for us to think about their like we look at their choices and go oh what does that tell me about the meaning of life or what my life what i want my life to be yeah um so that's good yeah i um i think you one of the things um so just to kind of shift a little bit to how do how do we you brian and me patty like how do we each understand how we come to our own understanding of what life is about or what our own lives are about right and i think a lot of that for me happened in my 20s when i was doing a lot of like career path searching and living different places and encountering different people and i think a lot in my 20s i came to be like to realize in my 20s, I came to realize what it is that helps me connect with the world in an authentic way. Mm. That's authentically me. Like what are the conditions and situations that help bring out the best in me and vice versa? Yeah, that sounds important. I mean, um, I think it's a great position when we're able to do that with our lives. A lot of us find ourselves pulled around by um, different requirements or whatever, different ways of living that cause us to uh, maybe mistake or even ignore thinking about that particular problem. Right. But that, I think that that's a very useful thing to do. I don't, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I should live, but I didn't actually sort of settle on a way of living until, wow, I mean, really, in, probably into my probably into my 40s was before I really kind of decided the way I wanted to approach things. So for that, I was just uh, trying. Well, stuff. one of the things I really appreciate about you as a model for living the good life is you are often not concerned with you know, um, how things look to other people. Like if it's authentic for you, you aren't really concerned about what other people think. Well, I mean, I'm aware of it, but yeah, I'm not very concerned usually. Yeah. I mean, I mean sometimes, yeah. sometimes I have to be, of course, situational. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, again, if we, I mean, Aristotle was, was so stupid about so many things that it's hard to praise him all the time, frankly. But in this particular area, I think he might have gotten something important right, which is to say that we have to spend some time thinking about what the right ways to think are to develop some practical skills. And then we want to learn to apply those practical skills to specific complex questions like, how should I live? Like, what makes me happy? Like, um, you know, What's what my, am I, what am I good at that I could give to the world? Well, or that I can use to benefit myself, thereby positively creating or positively contributing to society or the world or something like that. I mean, for Aristotle, there's no way to avoid self-interest, right? The question just becomes, can I learn through living in society? can I learn the value of others, right? Because I can certainly use others. Aristotle thinks that's very possible. We see it all the time, but it's a, it's a better life when I work well with others. And when, when there's a mutual reinforcing of the things that, that cause us to have good lives. And that's ultimately what 
you know, society has the potential to be for everybody. But of course, in a lot of cases, it doesn't turn out that way. Aristotle would say it's because the people don't adjust. I think that's wrong. I think, I think we have seen that in a lot of cases, society needs doesn't to adjust. adjust. Does yeah. not adjust. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, he was an old white guy who- had... white, white enough. Yeah. yeah. So definitely um, in the privileged um, So what is the meaning of life? Um, I think- I think sometimes also we discover through loss things that gave meaning to our life, but we didn't know it at the time. It's a nice, it's, it's a nice uh, support of the nihilist viewpoint. The nihilist would agree with us. See, it's lost now. Any meaning that you wish was there, you can't get. So you blew it. We just do it over and over and over again until we die, and then ultimately oh. it doesn't matter either. Oh man, that's rough. We, we stardust, can't. stardust for everybody. We can't end on that note. I mean, you could. <laughs> <laughs> how about this note? How about the, how about the Sisyphean perspective? We didn't get to that one. What's that life, one's meaning of life? We Is are it cursed. Struggle. struggle? Uh, we are cursed to a life of drudgery and toil meaningless effort and existence and it doesn't matter if you put meaning to it i mean you can but you're still rolling that rock baby still rolling that rock every day and one day one day it's just gonna crush you and no one <laughs> ever know you ever rolled it isn't that what your accounting job feels like out there come on the sisyphean approach would say we need to change that right we need to grab hold of life and make meaning the existentialist approach essentially is what we're talking wow. about wow grab hold and make meaning you got to make that that sounds, that sounds like something you should put on a t-shirt somebody's got it on a t-shirt somewhere grab <laughs> hold of life <laughs> and make meaning isn't that what like carpe diem isn't that what there you go there you go well it's also what you know, it's also what a lot of existentialist uh, philosophy is about, is about me deciding, kind of like what you were talking about with nihilism, you know, I, I make my own meaning. For the existentialist, that's actually useful. That's actually important. As a matter of fact, just, you know, we're about out of time, but um, Albert Camus, an important existentialist, um, you know, he suggested that I should be asking myself every morning, what is my meaning for getting out of bed? What is the thing that keeps me going on today? right? That I should explicitly answer that every day. And he thought it's not a futile question. He thought that actually everybody can, even if it's something that seems so small to others, if that's what it is for you, that's what it is for you. And that's all good. That's kinda, life meaning, according to him. I kind of like that idea of, of you ask yourself, what, what would give my life meaning today? Well, I hope this show has helped our listeners think about that. I, I, if you've been listening to the show, you must be thinking about value in some regard. I don't know that we have any answers for you, but uh, in that particular regard, that's, that's really why this stuff's for everyone. Even you.